European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 43, Issue 34. Focus Issue, Dyslipidemias, by Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Screening, diagnosis and treatment of familial hypercholesterolemia, a call to action. This focus issue on dyslipidemias contains the special article The Dawn of a New Era of Targeted Lipid-Lowering Therapies by Lale Tokazoglu from the Hacettepe University Faculty of Medicine in Ankara, Turkey and Peter Libby from the Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. The authors note that lipid risk factors for cardiovascular disease, or CVD, depend in part on lifestyle, but optimum control of lipids often demands additional measures. LDL doubtless contributes causally to atherosclerosis. Recent human genetic findings have substantiated a number of novel targets for lipid-lowering therapy, including apolipoprotein C3, angiopoietin-like protein 3 and 4, apolipoprotein 5, and ATP citrate liase. These discoveries, coupled with advances in biotechnology development, afford new avenues for the management of LDL and other aspects of lipid risk. Beyond LDL, new treatments targeting triglyceride-rich lipoproteins and lipoprotein A have become available and have entered clinical development. Biological and RNA-directed agents have joined traditional small-molecule approaches, which themselves have undergone considerable refinement. Innovative targeting strategies have increased the efficacy of some of these novel interventions and markedly improved their tolerability. Gene editing approaches have appeared on the horizon of lipid management. This article reviews this progress, offering insight into novel biological and therapeutic discoveries and places them into a practical patient care perspective. Familial hypercholesterolemia, or FH, is the most common inherited life-threatening metabolic disorder, affecting 1 in 300 individuals. In a viewpoint article entitled, Screening in Children for Familial Hypercholesterolemia, Start Now. Uruk, Groschel and colleagues from the University Medical Center Ljubljana in Slovenia Note that with a 50% chance of inheriting the condition, every individual with an FH-causing variant also has at least one parent, and often siblings, with the same variant, presenting a health burden for affected families. In Europe, there are greater than 500,000 children and 2 million adults with FH. However, less than 5% of these children are identified, and only a small fraction of all affected individuals receive life-saving treatment. Elevated LDLC cholesterol, or LDLC levels, in individuals with FH and consequent lifelong LDLC exposure accelerate the process of atherosclerosis and lead to a 10 times excess risk of premature CVD morbidity and mortality. About 50% of untreated men with FH will have heart attacks by age 50 years and approximately 30% of women by age 60. Identifying individuals with FH early in life leads to early introduction of lipid-lowering therapy and improved outcomes, but too often this does not happen. The Familial Hypercholesterolemia Studies Collaboration, or EAS-FHSC Global Registry Analysis, 
including 42,000 adults from 56 countries, showed that FH is diagnosed late in life, at a median of 44 years, and only 2.1% of the cohort was diagnosed in childhood. Thus, the authors proposed the following suggestions. 1. Every country should have an FH screening program. 2. Combined, universal, cascade and opportunistic, screening strategies should be implemented to best fit the individual country's healthcare system. 3. Governments should provide financial support for these programs and related care. And 4. Further research to optimise care and implementations should be conducted. Statins play a key role in the management of patients with cardiovascular disease. The statin intolerance, or SI, represents a significant public health problem for which precise estimates of prevalence are needed, as it's associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular events. In a meta-analysis article entitled Prevalence of Statin Intolerance, a Meta-analysis, Ibadade Bittiger and colleagues from the Umeå University in Sweden estimate the prevalence of SI according to different diagnostic criteria and in different disease settings and identify possible risk factors, stroke conditions that might increase its risk. The authors searched several databases up to the 31st of May 2021 for studies that reported the prevalence of SI. The primary endpoint was overall prevalence and prevalence according to a range of diagnostic criteria, these being National Lipid Association or NLA, International Lipid Expert Panel or ILEP, and European Atherosclerosis Society or EAS. And in different disease settings. The secondary endpoint was to identify possible risk factors for SI. A random effects model was applied to estimate the overall pooled prevalence. A total of 176 studies, 112 randomized controlled trials or RCTs and 64 cohort studies, with 4,143,517 patients were ultimately included in the analysis. The prevalence was similar when defined using NLA, ILEP and EAS criteria, 7%, 6.7% and 5.9% respectively. The prevalence of SI in RCTs was significantly lower compared with cohort studies, 4.9% versus 17%. The prevalence of SI in studies including both primary and secondary prevention patients was much higher than when primary or secondary prevention patients were analysed separately, 18%, 8.2% and 9.1% respectively. Statin lipid solubility did not affect the prevalence of SI, 4% versus 5%. Age odds ratio, or OR, 1.33, P equaling 0.04, female gender, OR, 1.47, P equaling 0.007, Asian and black race, P being less than 0.05 for both, obesity, OR, 1.30, P equaling 0.02, diabetes mellitus, OR, 1.26, P equaling 0.02, hypothyroidism, OR 1.37, P equaling 0.01, chronic liver and renal failure, P being less than 0.05 for both, 
was significantly associated with SI in the meta-regression model. Antiarrhythmic agents, calcium channel blockers, alcohol use, and increased statin dose were also associated with a higher risk of SI. The authors conclude that based on the present analysis of greater than 4 million patients, prevalence of SI is low when diagnosed according to international definitions. These results support the concept that the prevalence of complete SI might often be overestimated and highlight the need for the careful assessment of patients with potential symptoms related to SI. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Christopher Cannon from the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. Cannon notes that statin therapy is perhaps the most beneficial therapy in all of cardiology. Yet, on the internet and in public perception, statins are perhaps best known for their side effects and often viewed with great skepticism. Whenever the topic comes up, patients will report themselves as having had or know others who had side effects and couldn't take statins. This has become known broadly as statin intolerance. Cannon acknowledges the reassuring findings of the study by Bittija et al., and describes his clinical approach in patients on statin treatment. Homozygous FH, or HOFH, is an orphan disease defined by extreme elevations in LDLC, cutaneous xanthomas, and premature atherosclerotic CVD. In a clinical research article entitled Aortic Stenosis in Homozygous Familial Hypercholesterolemia, a paradigm shift over a century. Alexandre Belanger and colleagues from the Research Institute of the McGill University Health Centre in Montreal, Canada, note that survival has more than doubled over the past three decades. Aortic stenosis, or AS, being supravalvular aortic stenosis, or SVAS, or valvular aortic stenosis, or VAS, is commonly encountered. A systematic review was performed to summarize the current evidence on AS in HOFH and to determine whether pharmacological treatments, statins, have had an impact on clinical presentation, phenotype, and clinical course over the past nine decades. Medline, Embase Classic plus Embase, Cochrane Central Registry of Control Trials, PubMed, AfricaWide, and Scopus were searched from inception to the 10th of November 2021. Searches identified 381 publications, of which 19 were retained. They were cross-sectional or retrospective studies. Separately, 108 individual case reports were described. Within the 424 HOFH cases, AS was identified in 57% of patients in the pre-statin era versus 35% of patients reported more recently. With an increase in longevity due to statins and lipoproteinopheresis, a change in the proportion of patients with SVAS and VAS, with an SVAS to VAS ratio of 47 to 53 and 10 to 90 for HOFH patients not on statin and on long-term statin respectively, was noted. The authors conclude that these data suggest that SVAS and VAS are frequent in HOFH and that the phenotype has shifted towards calcific VAS, as statins and lipoproteinopheresis improve survival in these patients. 
This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Akhna Bajaj and Marina Kuchel from the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania in USA. Bajaj and Kuchel note that the study by Belanger et al. highlights an important and relatively understudied aspect of HOFH. The extensive summary of the published data shows the significant impact that AS has in this population. Screening for AS should be done in all patients with HOFH at the time of diagnosis and regularly after that. Until a treatment to alter the progression of AS becomes available, the data support the initiation of aggressive lipid lowering in order to prevent the onset of disease, starting at the time of diagnosis of HOFH. There remain many unanswered questions regarding the mechanisms underlying the development of VAS, and future work in this area is desperately needed in order to develop treatments that will be likely to have a larger impact beyond the HOFH population. Access to detailed patient-level information, including laboratory tests, treatments, and imaging studies over time, would be essential for achieving this goal. In a clinical research article entitled Population Genomic Screening of Young Adults for Familial Hypercholesterolemia, Cost-Effectiveness Analysis, Clara Marquina and colleagues from the Monash University in Melbourne, Australia, assess the impact and cost-effectiveness of offering population genomic screening to all young adults in Australia to detect heterozygous FH. The authors designed a decision analytic Markov model to compare the current standard of care for heterozygous FH diagnosis in Australia, that being opportunistic cholesterol screening and genetic cascade testing, with the alternative strategy of population genomic screening of adults aged 18 to 40 years to detect pathogenic variants in the LDLR-APOB-PCSK9 genes. They used a validated cost adaption method to adapt findings to eight high-income countries. The model captured coronary heart disease, or CHD, morbidity-mortality, over a lifetime horizon from healthcare and societal perspectives. Risk of CHD, treatment effects, prevalence, and healthcare costs were estimated from published studies. Outcomes included quality-adjusted life years, or qualies, costs, and the incremental cost-effectiveness ratio, or ICER, discounted 5% annually. Sensitivity analyses were undertaken to explore the impact of key input parameters on the robustness of the model. Over the lifetime of the population, 4,167,768 men and 4,129,961 women, the model estimated a gain of 33,488 years of life lived and 51,790 qualies due to CHD prevention. Population genomic screening for FH would be cost-effective from a healthcare perspective if the per-test cost was less than or equal to 250 Australian dollars, yielding an ICER of less than 28,000 Australian dollars per quali gained. From a societal perspective, population genomic screening would be cost-saving. ICERs from a societal perspective remained cost-saving after adaption to other countries. Marquina et al. conclude that based on their model, 
offering population genomic screening to all young adults for FH could be cost-effective at testing costs that are feasible. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Corey Bradley from the Columbia University Irving Medical Center in New York, New York, USA, and Amit Kera and Anne-Marie Navarre from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, USA. The authors conclude that healthcare systems around the world are failing people with FH by underscreening, underdiagnosing, and undertreating most patients with FH, leading to unnecessary morbidity and mortality from atherosclerotic disease. Novel approaches are urgently needed to identify those with FH and initiate therapy. Multiple interventions have been proposed as alternatives to the opportunistic or cascade screening programs in place today, many of which may be cost-effective but have yet to be tested broadly. Regardless of the strategy used, any screening programs for FH should be coupled with aggressive interventions to treat persons with FH before the onset of the disease and systems of care that encourage long-term adherence. The atherogenic potential of cholesterol in triglyceride-rich lipoproteins, also called remnant cholesterol, is being increasingly acknowledged. In a clinical research article entitled Elevated Remnant Cholesterol Increases the Risk of Peripheral Artery Disease, Myocardial Infarction and Ischemic Stroke, a cohort-based study. Benjamin Nielsen Vadstrom and colleagues from the Copenhagen University Hospital in Denmark tested the hypothesis that elevated remnant cholesterol is also associated with increased risk of peripheral artery disease, or PAD. The authors studied 106,937 individuals from the Copenhagen General Population Study recruited between 2003 and 2015. During up to 15 years of follow-up, 1,586 were diagnosed with PAD, 2,570 with myocardial infarction, and 2,762 with ischemic stroke. They also studied 13,974 individuals from the Copenhagen City Heart Study, recruited between 1976 and 1978. During up to 43 years of follow-up, 1,033 were diagnosed with PAD, 2,236 with myocardial infarction, and 1,976 with ischemic stroke. Remnant cholesterol was calculated from a standard lipid profile. Diagnoses were from Danish nationwide health registries. In the Copenhagen General Population Study, elevated remnant cholesterol levels were significantly associated with higher risk of PAD, up to a multivariable adjusted HR of 4.8 for individuals with levels greater than or equal to 1.5 millimoles per litre, 58 milligrams per deciliter, versus less than 0.5 millimoles per litre, 19 milligrams per deciliter. Corresponding results were 4.2 for myocardial infarction and 1.8 for ischemic stroke. In the Copenhagen City Heart Study, corresponding HRs were 4.9 for PAD, 2.6 for myocardial infarction, and 2.1 for ischemic stroke. Wadström and colleagues conclude that elevated remnant cholesterol is associated with a five-fold increased risk of PAD in the general population, 
higher than for myocardial infarction and ischemic stroke. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Connie Hess and Mark Bonica from the University of Colorado School of Medicine in Aurora, Colorado, USA. The authors note that there have been important gains in therapeutic development to reduce risk in patients with atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, or ASCBD. In addition, the advent of lower cost, lower frequency therapies such as inclycerin, creates opportunities for early intervention for primary or even primordial prevention. As options increase, clinicians and patients will need more information to better personalize preventative strategies. Remnant cholesterol holds promise as an additional risk factor that can be measured and potentially modified to better understand and reduce risk for ASCVD and specifically PAD. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.